Hello and welcome to a Fiddle Forward edition of the Culture File Weekly. This time we're in the company of the musician who many consider to be the greatest living violinist, along with his most promising pupil. Patrick Rafter, a young Irish violinist from County Kilkenny, whose ever-accelerating career has seen him in the last few years come under the wing of the musician many say is the greatest living exponent of the instrument, Maxim Vengerov. The relationship came to a fruition of sorts when Patrick Rafter and Maxime Vengerov performed together at the NCH in Dublin in Bach's double concerto for violin. Kulturfile went to meet master and pupil as they prepared for the concert. Good evening, everyone. I'm Paul Harriet. For once, lots of space tonight on this stage, even room for a presenter. I'm Patrick Rafter. I'm a violinist. I'm from Kilkenny in Ireland. And I've spent my life uh, growing up at the Royal Irish Academy of Music, where I was a student, and subsequently at the Academy in London. I met the wonderful Maxime Vengerov, who asked me to study with him in Switzerland. Maxime, for me, I grew up um, just putting this guy on a pedestal, because for me, he's the greatest living violinist. And certainly as he's gotten older, well, he's not old, he's 40, it is 40s, but as he's matured, his sound has just even evolved to something on a di- just a different level to what I've ever heard. And to stand beside this in one of the greatest works for two violins there is, or one of the greatest works in classical music, one of the, the canon of classical music. A work that has been described as two golden threads entwined with gossamer delicacy. It's something that brings you know, a lot of joy and a lot of happiness to me, so I'm very, very proud. And at the same time, it's a wonderful moment for Irish string playing to have an Irish violinist standing alongside the world's greatest violinist. That other violinist is none other than one of our own, the young Irish violinist Patrick Rafter. Before I've studied with Maxine for the past the stage, uh, over three years, three and a bit years. So I've had a lot of influence from him in terms of how I approach, particularly in terms of sound. And I think he opened my eyes to this world of sound that I never knew existed prior to that. For me, we have an advantage going. He's worked with me and I've learned so much from him for the last couple of years that we naturally blend very, very well. And I think our sounds and our approaches to sounds are actually quite similar. Although we're very different people in our own rights and different musicians, they still blend on stage. And I think just our approach, what our goal is from this music is quite similar. You can spend years studying and thinking about the physics, the, the mathematical, the, all the other physical aspects of violin playing. But at the end of the day, sadly, everything is different. You're relying on too many variations there with your body, with the violin, with strings, with the atmosphere, with the current, current acoustic. So your ears are actually your biggest guider, not any of things. When you're training, yes, you learn about the overtones, you learn about all these things and you look for them. But then there comes a point where your ears have to guide you through everything and you kind of leave the the maths aside, you leave aside the detail, you leave aside the technicalities and you actually go solely based on your ears and your sensations. So you have to feel that your body is your instrument. I think Maxine's a wonderful example of that. Oystrak is another example of that, where they manage that their sound was nothing got to do with the violin. It's something that was 100% organic of themselves and not something external, like a, you know, a flimsy wooden box that you stick on your shoulder. It was something they managed to resonate with in their body. For, for 
for one to, to be in a very healthy shape. If you're talking about good posture, you're talking about exactly all of these things, as I say, as I try and make myself more upright. <laughs> but it is, it's vital to a healthy sound. Like you need to be in very, very good shape yourself. I mean this in every respect. I don't mean just physically. You need to be in a mentally very, very positive place. You need to be emotionally in a positive place. And physically then is also a very important factor. But there have been great violinists who have managed to make beautiful sounds, but at great expense to their bodies. And thus... Over a long period of time, they have huge problems. There's a perfect example of Heifetz, who still managed to play at the highest level, literally his highest level, at the age of 70. And I think that's Maxime. Maxime went through his own difficulties. Maxime sees that, and it's something he's instilled in me, and thus my approach is that, yes, your, your priority first is your first body, your first instrument is not even the violin or the bow, it's your body, and then everything is uh, secondary to that. My football days are over. I'm now retired, you know. <laughs> Sadly, I had a little fall, which was seemed innocuous at the time. This was um, Jan- December 2017, and it was innocuous at the time. It seemed perfectly innocuous. It was St. Stephen's Day against a, it was a local charity tournament. I remember I just fell, thought nothing of it. It was a freezing cold day, so I couldn't feel my arms anyway. <laughs> Subsequently, throughout the day, had a throbbing pain throughout my arm. Tried not to think about it. I had a concert on two days later up in Belfast. Went to bed, woke up with a searing pain throughout my whole arm. I had to do this concert and I went up. I rehearsed. I tried to get through it. It was a sold out concert. I was like, okay, I'm not going to pull out. And it was for charity. So I was like, I'm not, I'm not pulling out. I, I just don't want it because it's unfair. They won't find the violence at this stage. It's Christmas time. And um, I played the concert. Perhaps a mistake. You, one could argue. It depends where your priorities lie. I had difficulty after this, and for the first time I remember I had to cancel a series of concerts then. In my own heart, I thought that was it. That was the end of fiddle. I spent many, many weeks waking up so many times just in this panic, trying to you know, find if I could pay, if I could use uh, those extensions in my left hand again, and nothing was improving. So it was a bit of a tumultuous time i have to be honest with you but i did think ah well i can always be a conductor <laughs> if i'm not meant to be a violinist there's a reason why i did do violin i've become a, a musician i've learned so much about chamber music and anyway to be a great conductor you need this i'd always wanted to be a conductor so i was like okay well let's look at those options as soon as my mind i think was more at peace with that i think then things started to take a turn in the right direction because the tension left my body as soon as that happened I slowly started to see an improvement. When you come back from that, you have huge doubt. You know, you you think, you know, in the middle of a concert, gosh, perhaps this is going to go, or what happens if this pains me right before a concert and I can't play? I remember I made the decision, right, I was doing a concert. I think it was, oh, I was with Maxime, actually. Yeah, it was in March. And I wasn't playing a huge part. It was something, I, I was playing one small piece. It was only a five-minute piece on stage, and that was it. And I was like, okay, I'll just give him my everything if it uh, messes up. And everything goes to yes to the right, so be it. And then at least I know. But I can't stand here in the middle afraid to do it because it's pointless to be afraid. I just went for it. I threw caution to the wind, so to speak, played with complete freedom and came out feeling, yes, I can do this again.
for me, I walk out on stage, I know all of those struggles, all of those difficult moments are all worth it because you go out on stage and you have something extraordinary, something beautiful, not of you. For me, it's of God to give to the people. For me, it was, it was all about sound, to be perfectly honest. It was about finding connection between the notes. It was about finding phrasing that made sense within all those semiquavers. Like particularly the first movement, it's very contrapuntal, it's very, very thick. Trying to find the right shape, trying to find the right ability to shape it, despite the fact that all the notes are separate. Like Like trying to find that perfect shape, that perfect phrasing, is extremely difficult. And also... There's different schools on it. Maxine plays a certain school, and it's a school I would too. But I wanted to try every school, whether you play it at the tip of the bow, you play it in the middle, what type of an approach you have, and what gives greatest, uh, bears greatest witness to the testament to the music. And so I had many, many struggles with, uh, God, I remember, I, was, I played for various people, actually played for my parents, several times just like, I can't find this nice resonance with my semiquavers. I'm, I'm playing and I'm playing and I still can't find it. And eventually it came. It was a struggle. <laughs> it was a struggle. But eventually, through, um, through hard work and through, I think, uh, continual perseverance and, and patience, it does come. I think you have to find the, the right moments also to when you come out and when you don't come out. You have to find where does your part lie within this textured cake. You can imagine like a quadruple sponge cake here. And sometimes you're the cream. Sometimes you're the, the thick, heavy base. So different textures as we go on. <laughs> or sometimes you are the cherry on top. Or sometimes you're the chocolate or whatever it is. And you have to find the right type of density to your sound, the right type of color to your sound, the right type of support. Because there's many times in this where I'm accompanying Maxime, or Maxime's accompanying me. It's not the same thing as playing solo. It's not even accompanying. It's finding the right voice. It's like you're myself and yourself are speaking. And you're like, it's a beautiful day, and I'm like, yes, yes. And I'm the yes, yes. Or maybe I'm the, it's a beautiful day, and you're the yes, yes. And yes, yes, you don't say in the same way, it's a beautiful day, yes, yes. It's not a statement, it's a response. And you have to find the perfect blend of sounds that, that make that sense, that makes sense, that makes logic. There's other things where even you could be accompanying the orchestra. Once again, maybe you're only the, the middle sponge. Nobody wants to hear you know, have too much middle sponge. <laughs> maybe it's something else. So you have to find the right balance and the right density. The best cake-based bark explanation I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Maxim Vengerov, and I'm a violinist and a conductor. Uh, tonight we're going to play uh, in the first half uh, three concertos of uh, Bach and a double concerto with uh, Patrick Rafter, uh, who used to be my student. So uh, looking forward to that. We met with Patrick for the first time, well, 
when he was studying in the Royal Academy of Music in London. And uh, I heard him play, and it was a wonderful, marvelous uh, experience. Uh, he played the, with the double bass, <laughs> the Bottezini <Yes. laughs> uh, duo. And uh, immediately, I think, we clicked on some energetic energy level. I, I was uh, teaching. Uh, I, I became a, a professor and uh, uh, artistic director of Benuin Academy in uh, uh, Roll in Switzerland, and I thought uh, it was wonderful to have Patrick in our class. I think for a teacher it's very important to, to know, first of all, what not to do, <laughs> if I may say so. Uh, so immediately, but immediately I recognized his qualities. He, he needed that, uh, you know, to take everything um, out of himself, what was inside, but didn't come out yet, and I think that needed... Uh, some attention <laughs> and uh, you know sometimes uh, a teacher needs to be like a mirror so the student can see oh is that how I look <laughs> and, and that's it you know so sometimes words uh, fail to describe what's uh, what's uh, what's necessary for a student you, know, if you, you can talk as much as you want but until the student realizes uh, that's what he, he or she needs to accomplish. Until then, uh, uh, teacher's mission is not accomplished. <laughs> so that's almost a, a psychological job as much as a musical one. I would say even more psychological than than actually physical, because as I said, you know, it's important uh, as well to know what to say and what not to say, mm-hmm. when to look and what not to look. <laughs> so it's a very fine and. Uh, a uh, very, I would say, dangerous profession. Out of three jobs that I have, playing violin, conducting, and uh, teaching, probably this one is the most uh, has the most responsibility, because we're dealing with young people. They're still uh, sensitive souls <laughs> that needs uh, special attention and sp- understanding. And in my heart, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm always young, and I still be the same age. As them, and I think that's what makes it makes it special for me to teach. You learn a lot also uh, from from uh, from your students uh, what to do, and sometimes they they discover a few things that you take for you on board. Did you find uh, that you're just having Maxime in the room that your your playing began to change almost instantly? <laughs> well, for me, yes, definitely, because it's inspirational. Like, if you grew up, I've told Maxime this, if you've grown up watching this guy as a kid and just been enthralled and simply mesmerised by him, having him, a, uh, having him in the same room is at first stressful <laughs> and nerve-wracking. <laughs> subsequently leads to to a desire to really try and emulate everything that that he teaches and every everything that he shows and watching him this close and seeing what how this incredible sound is formed is is just simply incredible (laughs) 
Patrick was talking about how that when he came to work with you, there was a whole sound world that he hadn't really been conscious of that was suddenly brought into into view. Do, do, do you understand what he means by that? Yes, absolutely. The sound is uh, probably the most important thing for uh, every every player, individual player, because as uh, individuals, we all have our own distinct voice. For instance, you know, each of us, we recognize each other by the voice of our speech, the way we speak. The same recognition should be when we play. And why not? Because uh, the sound is a message of what's, uh, what we want to transmit. Now, when we're individually playing, then we need to be absolutely distinct from others. back uh, half a century ago we could always recognize the uh, sound of uh, Rostropovich, Oistrakh, uh, Mirstein, uh, Kazals, uh, just about anyone you know who, who played there who was shining on the music olymp uh, and for the for for those matters not only for the interpretive skills but first of all for the sound expression we could recognize the sound uh, of each individual player. Not only that, we could recognize also the sound of the orchestras. Today, partially, that's, in my opinion, that's lost. Because I think of the age of globalization, we blend to each other uh, sometimes just uh, too much. <laughs> and music is an individual expression. You know, you cannot uh, pray uh, to God, uh, being like everybody else. Each of us, we have different souls. Uh, and uh, playing music is a bit of meditation, like a prayer. What's the, the marvelous thing about Bach is that every time you play it, it's a different experience. You, you know you know it. You know it so well, because you know, we've played this since we we're you know, really young. But yet you discover different things. And for me, Bach is always a discovery because of the polyphony. Myself and Patrick were talking earlier about the overtone series and how much maybe that has come into his education with you, that at a certain level of playing, your technique is good and you play the right notes, and then somebody has to bring you into this world where it's about ratios and, and putting frequencies, matching frequencies together and coaxing other frequencies. I think the things you're talking about, uh, if we summarise everything... We can uh, summarize it in a way in with one word, uh, connection. Once we are connected to the spirit of music, to the sound, the limit is, uh, you know, the horizons. You know, there's no limits. It's endless search, universe, galaxies, really, because music belongs to different spheres. It's not uh, does not only belong to uh, the Mother Earth. <laughs> it came from somewhere. Definitely, because how could it come to Mozart and uh, all the great composers and not come to other people? Uh, and that's a, that's a miracle in a way that nobody yet can understand and fully comprehend.
For you, that has to do with God, then? Absolutely, because the art is the um, human expression of uh, our better selves. <laughs> and the, this is the higher, when we, uh, with music, we are able to elevate ourselves to a different dimension, to remind ourselves of different values. Having said that, uh, music is not only spiritual, it's, it's very grounded with the uh, greatest discipline you can ever imagine. You know, people think that artists, uh, you know, already the artist expression, you know, uh, yes, is artist. <laughs> in the on the other hand, such discipline that is required to become such an artist, uh, you have to start uh, as uh, early as age of uh, four or five, six or seven, and sometimes when you're eight, is or maybe too late. <laughs> <laughs> you see, no, no, any other profession demands that, and music does. And you start with what? You don't start with spirituality. You don't start with higher spheres and uh, understanding of Mozart. No, you start with discipline. <laughs> Worst discipline you can ever imagine. Yeah, worse than mathematic because it's a higher mathematic. <laughs> uh, it's very, uh, very difficult to comprehend the complexity of, uh, to you know, to become musicians. And, and when later in life, uh, musicians are comprise uh, many qualities. Ideally, uh, not only the artistic but also organizational business but you know very uh, uh, high discipline that's what i would say without that it's impossible to become artist
One of the things that you were passing on to pupils was to kind of imagine what the sound of that thing they were holding in their hands was going to be. It wasn't all about actually making the note. It was about being able to conceive of it first. Before we actually play anything, we should imagine. As well as the thoughts always come first and then we express it verbally. If we just uh, speak without uh, thinking, without imagining, I think this speech is uh, wasted. Uh, it's accidental. Uh, and we need to distinguish what has been said with the true uh, meaning, with imagination and with the true purpose, and what has been said not. You know. And there are a lot of accidents that happen, and that's fine. We'll, we all learn. We're all only humans. You've said that for a teacher, maybe ideally their pupil should be better than them. <laughs> Where is Patrick on that path? Well, you, traditionally, if you see uh, uh, greatest teachers uh, of um, previous generations, uh, just take an example of um, my idol, uh, Giorgio Inescu. It's very difficult to imagine someone more... Uh, more evolved uh, spiritually and also in knowledge. Inescu was not just a great violinist, but also a celebrated pianist, conductor, composer, and finally, great greatest teacher. Uh, he has produced about 12 or 13 names, uh, including Menuhin, Gitlis, Ida Hendel, Grumbio, and so many others. Uh, in a way, as uh, violinists, uh, you know, you could you could argue, but I think they were, you know, in a step higher in a way, you know, technically, and you know, probably uh, you could argue that. Uh, but I think that Enesco never had an uh, ego problem to not to give everything what he know what he knew, and I think that's the, the that's the ideal. Uh, scenario when a teacher is sharing with you everything that he or she knows and uh, when uh, I when I teach students I have no, no no secrets don't even think about them yes it's impossible how not to give everything yeah only hundred and more percent together with gossamer delicacy.
Bach's double violin concerto there with Maxime Vengeroff and Patrick Rafter together on stage at the National Concert Hall along with the National Symphony Orchestra in the spring of 2019. Ah, simpler times. You've been listening to a special encore broadcast of The Culture File Weekly and don't forget The Culture File Archives with thousands of episodes to enjoy. Check out The Culture File page on the Lyrics site. We'll be back with some more Summer Pudding at the same time next Saturday, 6.30pm here on RTE Lyric FM.